0: What's great about studying the structure and style syllabus is kids go to analyze some other piece of writing and then comment on that style.
1: Hello and welcome to the Arts of Language podcast with Andrew Poudois, founder of the Institute for Excellence in Writing. Hi everyone, as you may have heard, this week we're switching it up a bit and are playing for you the audio portion of one of our IEW webinars. Today's episode is part two of that webinar, so if it sounds a bit like you're jumping into the middle of a conversation, well, it's because you are. And like we do for each podcast recording, we'll post any links or websites mentioned at IEW.com slash podcast. Enjoy!
0: With our response to literature. I don't want to get into great depth because we are trying to keep this short tonight, but this was originally contrived for a school district in California. Ha! So true, Julie. If you have not tired this yourself. Oh, you caught yourself. Yeah, we're all tired of a lot of things, but we don't want to tire of the track before we've tried it. Back to response to literature, this was created for a school district in California that had to prepare grade five, six, and seven students for a standardized test that included a response to literature, which is essentially you read something, you read a story, a poem, whatever, an article, you read something, and then you say what you think about that. Well, the problem, of course, with young children in, in that age range, 10, 11, 12, 13, whatever, they can read something, but, but knowing what to think about it, that's not necessarily going to be a natural aptitude. They need some training, some models, some practice to do that well. Otherwise, they're just going to basically sit there and say, I don't know what I think. I don't think. I have no idea what to write and have very little to show. Or they'll say, what do I think about it? Well, I think it was a good story, and here, I'll tell it to you again. And so what we found with that school district is that the students, given response to literature type of tasks, would either just retell the story, which wouldn't score well, or they wouldn't come up with much to say, which also wouldn't score well. So this idea is that you would structure an essay of various lengths for different grade levels. So with the grade five structure, three paragraphs, you got an introduction summary, and one analysis topic. Grade six you could have An introduction a summary and analysis topic inclusion. Grade 7, an introduction a summary and two analysis topics and the conclusion. So you would gradually build up three, four, five. You could even add in a third analysis topic and go for six paragraphs depending on what you wanted to do. So just a few thoughts there and and by the way if that went by pretty fast that responsive literature as I said I'm pointing you to the TWSS seminar, the SW2, the revised version wherein we have a lot more detailed explanation and examples. And if you need to do that type of thing, it's all there and ready for you to explore. So just remembering, don't stress over the level of sophistication. It's okay to do simple things, especially in the beginning. We always recommend you make a poster for all of our models. And since a lot of people don't make posters for models, we have created posters and you can print them out if you get them off our website, if you're a premium subscriber, which I think uh, most all of you probably are. Uh, or if you're a classroom teacher, you can buy large size posters that will also be helpful in that way. Be sure you keep with the vocabulary charts. If you got a band word list going, you can expand on that. If not you can always look for substitutes and synonyms for various words that may be overused. The critique thesaurus chart is excellent. You know, get that in the student's notebook. Get it on the wall. I'm very excited we're going to have a much new and much improved student resource packet that will be available very shortly. It will be coming with all of the theme based writing lessons as well as available for those who want to use it in without the theme-based writing lesson. It's, uh, much, it's gonna be much, much more user-friendly than the previous idea we had. And of course, we've got lots of samples and it's always good to remember as you come into the end of the school year, we're all anxious. Kids are anxious, we're anxious. Do we get everything done? No. Are we gonna stop anyway? Yes. Is it worth doing a critique? Well, the answer is yes. It's worth doing a critique, even if you only get one done. And then next year it'll go better, and the next year it'll go better. So, And then, of course, I think this may be a way to answer Jennifer's question. And she it's just popped in the question box, so let me go ahead and read it now. She asks, how do you know a high schooler is ready for literary analysis? What should I be looking for in his essays to know he's proficient? How many times do they need to go through the different units before they're ready to go on to something like Windows to the World, which is our literary analysis course, upper-middle, high school level? Well, there's no formula here, Jennifer. Probably, you know, you would know from conversation with a high schooler. Are they starting to ask questions like, what does the author believe about certain things? God, the universe, and why did characters do certain things they do? How did the author show this or that in the characters or the setting? How did he develop or show certain traits of the character? What were some of those elements? And, you know, honestly, I, I you know I hate to say it, but the best way probably is to just try it out. Get the windows to the world if that's where you want to go and just try it out and see how it is but the the answer really would be even if your student is not completely quote you know in your view ready for literary analysis independently they probably would be ready to do this with you so don't be afraid to do things together i think that we in kind of a dangerous way start to think oh no if my student can't do this assignment all on their own well then they must not be ready or they must not be learning something or if I help them then that would be cheating that's not true at all what I have discovered is that you can help students as much as you want you can do stuff together you can you know even take turns writing sentences on the paper whatever it takes to get the student to a point where they really see okay I grasp the whole I I understand the model I get it. You know, I can do it. I always say in my four deadly errors of teaching writing talk, one of which is withholding help, don't worry about helping a child too much. You can't do it. Even if you try, you can't help them too much because they will always tell you when they don't need help. So don't be worried about that. And, you know, worst case scenario, you get to exercise your brain a little bit there, uh, getting into literary analysis or just to the world or response to literature or whatever. And also, I would mention to Jennifer and everyone, we have a great team of people. I, I have got some teachers that are available to answer questions and correspond uh, or even talk to you on the phone. That are that are actually you know in many ways more experienced than I am in terms of having you know taught this type of thing at different levels to different types of groups of kids. We've got classroom teachers, we've got homeschool co-op teachers, we've got moms who've helped kids both at home and kids who are in classes. We've got a, a wonderful team of very experienced folks. So if you jump in and try something, you try Windows of the World and you've got a little bit of confusion or insecurity about am I doing it right or what should I really do here, whatever, you contact us and we will get you right to one of our master teachers who we kind of keep around. We keep them on as our emergency calling answering team and consultants and one of our goals, one of our corporate priorities at IEW is to be sure that everyone gets as much help as they possibly need. So I hope that was, was helpful. Okay, so just in case you are not aware, we have our theme-based books. The green stripes grade three to five. Those things don't go all the way up to unit nine. The Bible, Heroes, Fun and Fasting, Fables, Myths, and Fairy Tales, those go up to unit seven. But all of the blue stripe and purple stripe, the history-based, Uh, the Narnia, the Rockets, Robotics, uh, the Advanced U.S. History Rhetoric, those all do include Unit 8 and 9 critique models, so critique assignments. So you've got plenty plenty to do there. This is a new product this year, our uh, high school essay intensive. We worked very hard. It was completely re-recorded to include the problem of the SAT prompt, which is a literary, I wouldn't even call it literary analysis, it's just a text analysis, kind of a tedious, awful thing to do. But again, if you know the tricks and you practice a little bit, you can do a lot better. Also the new ACT prompt, which is different, and uh, a whole lot more on the invention process. So I think you will find that useful if you have high schoolers getting ready for those tests or needing that added help. Okay, we got a couple programming questions. My Q&A box is still open, so please feel free to send over a question. I'm in no hurry, but then I know we're trying to keep this a little shorter here. Heather is saying, do IEW's materials ever teach a three-level outline? Well, I am gonna have to confess to you, Heather, I'm not sure what a three-level outline is. I'm hoping I'm hoping that what it is would be met by our TRIAC model, which to me seems to have the three levels. It has the basic topic and restriction, and then it has the illustration or information or details, and then it has the analysis level and a clincher. So maybe that's it. Another paragraph model that probably not entirely useful for unit nine in the critique, but certainly for unit eight and maybe some of the literary analysis would be Jane Schaeffer years ago put out some materials where she had a couple paragraph models. One was fact, fact, comment, fact, fact, comment. So a total of six statements in a paragraph or fact, comment, fact, comment, fact, comment with another six statements in a paragraph. That would fit in pretty well to the way we do it, but I'm not entirely sure what that three level, and if you are with us here tonight and you want to clarify that, uh, go ahead and type it in and I'll I'll try to see what you mean. Sherry, any tips for students to write in the present tense when writing about the story? Well, you you have to understand the grammar, and so the idea is this author argues that this author utilizes certain devices, this author states. right? All of those will be present tense. And one of the problems, of course, is if a student knows the author is dead, you know, and you're writing about Charles Dickens, it's a little harder to say. Dickens uses various techniques. Dickens enjoys frequent short sentences. Dickens develops the character of Scrooge because Dickens is dead, so he's not doing it now. He did it. And I don't know how important that really is at our level. Perhaps if students go and take a composition course in a college or university, the teacher will say, okay, I want you to write in the present tense in this circumstance. I have a little bit more difficulty getting kids to put stories in the past tense, especially if they're elementary or lower middle school, because they're living the story as they're writing it, so they'll they'll put it in the present when I want it in the past. The key there, I think, Sherry, would be to understand the grammar, that they understand the, the grammar of tenses, and maybe even do a little exercise, give them a little Aesop fable, or give them a little bit of content and say, okay, Write this whole little thing in the present tense. Okay, now rewrite that whole outline in the past tense so they get a real clear idea of which is which and there the twain shall meet. And if they have trouble doing that, then you can, you can help them. So hopefully that does something for you. Anne-Marie has sent me a question about, <laughs> I love it, in Genghis Khan and the Hawk, Hopefully some of you are familiar with this, right? It's from the medieval history-based writing lessons that was used by many folks this year in CC. And the thing is, Genghis Khan has his favorite hawk, and the hawk keeps knocking the water out of his hand, and Genghis Khan is irritated. He finally accidentally kills the hawk, or intentionally kills the hawk, and then he notices that the water is probably toxic, maybe even deadly, because there's a, a venomous snake dead in the stream that is the source of his water. So that's just the background of the story. So Emery says, my son felt that the death of the hawk was needless. He felt that loyalty is usually rewarded, but not in this story. And his, is his opinion valid because it seems the death of the hawk makes the story so emotional? Well, absolutely his opinion is valid. I mean, he's he's got a perception of that story. Was it effective? Was it necessary? Did it communicate the right thing? Yes, usually loyalty is rewarded. Perhaps the question is what else could this story be trying to show other than loyalty? Is it is it showing that we can be careless to jump to conclusions, to make assumptions that then prove to be wrong? A story that's even more powerful and more painful Especially for most girls, and this one is is the classic story of Llewellyn and his hound Gellert. He comes home from a trip and Gellert didn't go hunting with him, but it comes out and has got blood on him and and Llewellyn is is worried goes into the house and sees his baby's crib knocked over and no baby and a bloody mess all over the floor and he makes the assumption that the hound has harmed his baby and in an emotional rage, you know, stabs his sword into his dog who dies with a pathetic whimper, of course, and this then wakes up the baby who was actually perfectly safe and under the pile of blankets is a dead wolf and an unharmed baby and Llewellyn realizes that indeed his loyal hound was bravely saving his child's life and he completely misread and misunderstood the situation. So it is a very painful and sad story. I guess the question is, yeah, you can interpret that in many ways. Some people would interpret Romeo and Juliet as don't be rebellious, you know, follow the guideline of your parents. Other people would say, well, it's destiny. Follow your heart and you pay the consequences. Other people, especially 11-year-old boys might interpret the whole thing as, don't do something stupid like fall in love with a girl, you know? <laughs> so, you know, I think it's nice to allow the kids to say, okay, this is what I perceive as the message moral. And it doesn't have to be what other people perceive as the message or moral. You, you might read the same story and have a, a slightly different view on what that story is teaching or doing or communicating, you know, especially if it's a classic story it's going to operate at different levels and affect different people different ways. And certainly all of those are are pretty much valid. That's one reason I feel dangerous. And so is my good friend, Andrew Kern. We feel that jumping into literary analysis in terms of saying, aha, I know what that means, or aha, this is what the author was trying to accomplish. Aha, these are the techniques. You have to be careful that you don't in Kern's words, you know, kill the puppy. You, you don't want to understand a puppy by killing it, dissecting it, labeling all its parts, and saying that's what a puppy is. What you would want to do to understand a puppy is, you know, play with it. And in, in, in a story, in a way, I think it's a lot better to be talking a lot about whatever comes up, you know, rabbit trails, whatever. And don't worry if where that rabbit trail takes you is different than what you might imagine to be the best or most important or official or truly academic way to analyze something. So I hope that was useful for for Anne-Marie, so. All right, well, I don't see any other questions and it looks like we are doing pretty well. Just to let you know what's coming up for the summer, we finished the Unit 9 here. I hope it was worth your time. Over the summer, we usually take a little break from the structure and style refinement efforts that we have. And we're going to be having one of my very good friends, Carol Topp, who wrote uh, Micro Business for Teens. It's a wonderful series. She's a CPA. She's a homeschool mom. She's encouraged hundreds, if not thousands, of kids directly or indirectly to look at starting their own business and be a little entrepreneurial. So she's going to join us on Monday, June 5th for a webinar, and I think you'll enjoy that, especially if you have some teens or or soon-to-be teens, so let your friends know about that one. And anything we can do to help with our podcast, our webinar archives, our blog, our forum, uh, newsletters, Magnum Opus magazines. I've been particularly gratified the last several weeks. I've been out on the road. I was in Hawaii and Maine and. Kansas City and Nashville, and I just got back from Minnesota yesterday, and I've been extremely grateful to have so many people tell me that the podcasts have been a blessing to them, and Julie and I sit in this room, and we record these things, you know, week after week, and Sometimes I think, is anyone really listening to these things? You know, all this talking that we're doing. But I've had moms say, "Oh, I listen. You know, to every one of them. I listen to them more than once. I love to listen to them while I'm doing various chores, clean the house, or out on my run. Or I love to listen to them in the car with my kids. So I hope that you would take advantage of checking out the podcast. So, ooh, looks like a last minute question there. Here we have Heather. Three level outline. The first level has a Roman numeral. The second level gives details. The third level would further describe those details, ABC. Yeah, we don't use the third level there the way you're kind of explaining it with the ABC. One reason it's just that it's very easy to get way too much in an outline for a paragraph. So. What, what we find is that if you kind of limit the number of details and you say, okay, you've got a topic, you're going to have six or seven details. And there's lots of ways to organize these details. There's the triac model. There's the fact comment, fact comment, fact comment, which could be, you know, technically a 1A, 2A, 3A. But then if you go into the very strict, strict rules of outlining, I believe you're not supposed to have an A unless you also have a B. So then you, you get into some kind of, we have to keep just pushing, pushing, and then that can be kind of problematic. So we don't do that. There's no reason you couldn't. I have no problem with it. I think if you're teaching outline to students who can handle it, certainly outlining something just for the sake of understanding the structure of it, an encyclopedia article or editorial blog post article, you know, that could be good but uh, we find the simpler outline works almost all the time, especially in the, in the first few years of that. So, all right, well, I think then that that is probably going to take us to the end here and God bless you all for making it through the whole school year of, of the nine units. And I commend you all for your work you're doing in helping children to listen and speak And read and of course write better every year. And what we hope for is a relaxing end of the year, final projects, summer coming, and a renewed effort to continue reinforcing those things in the future. So all right, there you go. Raspigi can play and we can all go back to the things we need to do. God bless you Bernadette and Sherry and Heather. And, you know, thanks so much for being with us tonight. God bless you.
1: Thanks so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, you can subscribe to this podcast in iTunes or Stitcher. Or just visit us each week at IEW.com slash podcast. Until then, on behalf of Andrew Poudois and the team at IEW, I thank you for the privilege of allowing us to partner with you on this educational journey toward better listening, speaking, reading, writing, and thinking.